Debriefing today unplugs people's creativity by embracing the wonder of change. It seeks inspiration from maverick innovators and change makers to share their stories, experiences, and dreams. Exploring the use of foresight for unpacking issues on justice, injustice, and inequality. Today, I'm joined by Matt Finch, Associate Fellow at the Said Business School, University of Oxford, and Strategy Consultant and Mechanical Dolphin. Welcome, Matt, and thank you for joining me at the briefing today. Thank you for having me. Looking at what's happening in the world today, there are a lot of changes that are palpable, which outcomes are visible in today's societal fabric. It feels we're reaching a tipping point on our evolution as, as humankind. What's your take on, on this? Yes, there's, there's something really interesting about the present moment. I think it's very hard to know until we have hindsight. Is this really a tipping point in our evolution as humankind? That's hard to say. But definitely, we can perceive this turbulence, this uncertainty, the sense that things are changing in a, in a dramatic way and that the ground is not steady beneath our feet. And that, that might even be about who is now feeling uncertain and unsteady. There are certain people in society for whom this was already a very uncertain and unstable existence. But certainly this has been a century of surprises. And one of the things we've been thinking about at the Imagine Project, which is the Horizon Europe Project, is the future of justice and inequality. And, and to be specific, we've been thinking about two things that are very important to the European Union and the European Commission, which are territorial inequality and spatial justice. And what that really means is that do people have the same rights and opportunities regardless of where they live and work? And are different places treated fairly? One of the, one of the points of being in Europe is it's meant to be that wherever you are, there is an equality of opportunity and rights. You don't lose out because of your geography. And, and so we had 16 institutions across 13 countries doing research on these kind of issues of spatial justice and territorial inequality. And there were eight key projects, but one of them was a scenarios project, which is where you and I have an interest in, in this use of foresight in the future. And so one of the things we were doing is to look at just what the researchers had already found empirically in the past and the present, but also to try and see the unanswered questions and the questions that we didn't know to raise. So to find new frames to look at these questions of justice and inequality, and also creating a kind of sandbox for policy testing so that we weren't just testing policies against conditions now, but how conditions could change in the future. And one of the things we're doing is the tool we were using with these Oxford style scenarios. So not prediction, um, not talking about the futures that are normative or desired, but a set of plausible futures that challenge current assumptions. So trying to imagine futures that stand differently from the current frame of reference. This is great, Matt. And really the domain you're working on has so much potential to deliver an improvement as society at large. And so you, you started from scenario planning. How did that go? What did you do? And how did you build those scenarios? Initially, a core team came together and plotted out a set of rough sketch scenarios. But then we had lots of feedback 
from expert respondents to get different perspectives on each future. So everything from how the energy grid works to the future of behavioral nudge policy, like who would be doing the nudging in each future and how, uh, looking at the future of gender and sexuality, and even the relationship between outer space and justice in the regions of Europe. Since they've been developed, and from the very first beginning, like the first pressing of the wine, they've been used with European, national, and international institutions at a number of levels. So they were taken to European Investment Bank, to the OECD's Observatory for Public Sector Innovation. We had conversations with the Tufti Innovation Network, which is the collective of Europe's uh, innovation agencies, the public innovation agencies. And already, even before the publication of the full scenario set late last year, the sketch work had already fed into the European Commission's long-term vision for rural areas. And the plan now is there was this very big conversation as the scenarios were being built, and then the publication, and even more conversations, and there will be an ongoing European network for spatial justice, for people to talk about these questions of inequality and injustice. We're talking about very sensitive topics, justice, injustice, inequality. And we saw with the recent war, with the pandemic, and with other very unpleasant situations around the world, that um, we have a, an increment in societal disparities. Uh, and your work wants to bring more clarity, more uh, awareness of what's happening and how we could uh, build better um, a more solid foundation to improve uh, the well-being of, of many and really give uh, equal opportunities uh, to many. And so how do you see the role of foresight playing in uh, building better uh, equity, better justice uh, across different scenarios? That's, that's a great question, Mattia. And there's, there's two words I wanted to take from what you said, which was disparity. Uh, and you talked about the idea of a strong foundation. So the, the first thing is about disparity is the truth is that justice is always about storytelling and arguments. You know, even when they say we decide this court case on the balance of probabilities, it's not really about probabilities. We have lawyers giving competing stories about what happened. And that means we can't just run the numbers when it comes to justice. There are so many complex contextual factors. These change the environment in which policies are implemented, but also our values, our sense of quality, and our ideas of what is fair, they change over time as well. And so inequality isn't just about disparities that exist today. It's, it's not just about measuring the divide between the haves and the have-nots of today as we understand it. And it's not about seeing only seeing if the divide increases or decreases, because it's also about what will matter to people in times to come. How will inequality express itself and across what domains inequalities will emerge and, and what I was thinking when you said strong foundations is, you know, the future has not arrived yet. We cannot gather data or evidence. There are no strong foundations in the future. So we have to build something that we can rest on and think about. 
I really like the sentence that you said, we need to build something to rest and think about. I would also add, if I can, we need to test. We need to build to test, rest and think about. You mentioned earlier sandbox, the concept of sandbox that can a new policy, new new design can be tested in a safe space to inform future decision, to inform, yes, let's go in this way, let's go in that way and try to strategize in how uh, was the possible way to get to that futures. So looking at what you've done with the image project, what are the nuances and what you built to try to understand the possible futures? Well, the, the four scenarios themselves were structured around questions of prosperity or well-being as a focus for European society and dimensions of autonomy versus solidarity. But within that, we could look at all kinds of aspects of society, and some of them were very rich. And one that really stood out for me was actually looking at gender and sexuality. So we were really affected by the work of a psychotherapist called Esther Perel, and she makes the point that she talks about how marriage in the 1960s was transformed as a result of feminism and the gay rights movement, and the definition of marriage for everyone was shifted by these social movements and these changes in values. And so now in 2022, do we really think that these things have now finished changing, like that they are fixed for eternity? And in one of our scenarios, particularly called Patchwork Rainbow, we were looking at a Europe shaped by different, fragmented, hard to reconcile cultural values, people with very different beliefs about gender, sexuality, identity. And, you know, that would change even who was in your household. Who did you think was your family? Um, so that was one of the key issues we looked at. It's very interesting what you're describing here. And I'm curious to understand the relationship of technology and with technology in this domain. Uh, you know, <clears throat> oftentimes we see technology and technology is described as the final outcome instead of being the enabler of something greater than just a technological product or a digital uh, product. So what's, um, what's the interrelationship between gender sexuality and the scenarios and the technology? Well, it's interesting because we started to see how different aspects of life intersect. So certainly when we talk about intimacy, uh, the scenarios have quite a lot of work, which is about the metaverse and the cloud and, you know, what do intimate relations look like if we live very virtually. But what you say about technology also makes me think about something really very different, which is how we looked at how endeavours in outer space will affect and be affected by regional inequalities in the future and geopolitical ones too. So we realized from talking to a respondent from the UK Space Agency that what goes up into space and how the satellites are managed and what kind of technology is in space has an impact on regional inequality. Uh, and often people studying regional inequality are not thinking about the future of space travel. And when you start looking at the future of space, you also start thinking of the future of media and broadcasting and 5G. So you start thinking, what are people watching and listening to? And all of these things become connected ever more tightly. And it gives you this very rich picture. 
But then, of course, because this geopolitical aspect as well, like who is putting things into orbit, into space, one of our scenarios back in 2019, it highlighted the possibility of Ukraine becoming an EU member. And in this world, Europe was in a prolonged state of conflict with Russia in this scenario set in 2048. And at the time, this really challenged people. They were laughing. They found it implausible. Why is there a war in your regional development scenarios? And of course, we had identified something which has sadly come to reality in 2022. And, and these geopolitical stuff goes wider too, because we, we also looked at the future of corruption in each scenario. And again, this is something you might not do in conventional forecasting. You might not do it in more normative scenarios work where you look at the future you want to make. But it was interesting. We had Professor Robert Barrington from the Center for Study of Corruption to say, what would corruption look like in each future? So we could address this. And, and one of the interesting things that came from his response was that he pointed out that whatever work you could do to support the reduction of corruption in China would also impact these issues of regional injustice in more than one scenario. So it was a, it was a really interesting insight. It reminds me of the butterfly effects. Definitely. And the idea of, you know, uncertainties in the context. Can you work with other actors to try and stabilize the context? And what we saw was that China played such a significant role in several scenarios that actually stability of relations with China helped with regional inequality in Europe. And I think we maybe see this now in 2022 that all of the instability from the conflict in Ukraine is affecting European regions differently in some ways. Tell me more about the connection with space and the influence that space has at the regional level. I'm very fascinated about this uh, interspatial uh, connection. I think part of it comes from the increasing use of space technology to affect life on the ground. Like they talk about there's space for space, like exploring, going to the moon, going to Mars. And then there's space for Earth, which is where we do things in space to try and affect what happens on Earth. So increasingly, your fortunes on Earth will be affected by what is happening in orbit. And then the questions become, who is sending things up into orbit? And what is the jurisdiction of things in space? You know. So much regional work is geography, you know, and you're, you're someone who walks and explores and travels through challenging geographies. You know, the limits of one country and another country or the physical limits of a valley or a cliff, you know, they don't apply to something which is, which is orbiting the planet. So, so it transcends some of those geographical limitations. And even there, there should be regulation policy that prevents lawful acts. Absolutely. And so it becomes almost a question of politics at the highest level of how do we regulate space, especially now there are so many more private actors going into space. So it's not even just about national governments or space agencies. I, I wanted to ask, because you, know, you travel and have these adventures and go on these solo journeys, Do you take um, devices with you? Do you use space-based communications like GPS or anything else? What part does space play in your explorations? 
Yeah, when I was in in Iceland, I had a GPS with me, and uh, and when I was doing some research because I went to Nepal as well, and then a, a satellite phone. Sorry, not GPS, like a satellite phone, and I was quite uh, fascinated that uh, in uh, you can't enter Dubai Airport uh and in dubai with a satellite phone you can't i didn't know that that's interesting yeah 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 that that was super i said oh wow okay so you can just you know being a, a normal person um uh, if you have a satellite phone you can become you know immediately on uh, be put on one of those lists and say okay we need to look after this person uh, or all his movement uh, Definitely. And that, that makes me really interested with foresight. You know, imagine someone in the 1940s or 50s, if people had been doing scenarios then, they would, you, what would it mean if we had satellites and satellite communications and satellite phones? And so I wonder for us now, what kinds of technologies might be subject to the same restrictions you had? Like in 2050, governments will say, well, he's got this device. Now we have to keep an eye on him. Um, that really intrigues me. It's a good question. And it's interesting how technology can be a double sword, uh, you know, can be used to do good or can be used to do bad things, but also how it is easy to misinterpret as something because, you know, a, a satellite phone in that case, in, a, in Iceland or Nepal, you know, it is used to save your life but because it allows you to do other things, you're already seen as a, you're not seen, but you're labeled as someone that could, could do what the technology is meant not to be used for, but you know, can always be done with that. And, and even that idea of good and bad, who gets to decide and, and whatever we decide in 2022, Will the next generation agree on what is good and what is bad? That's, that's what excites me about doing foresight work around justice, because the values can change. Absolutely. And that, that should change. You know, values for us are different than values for, for our parents, for our you know, ancestors. And we should keep adapting things. I mean, we, we as human beings adapt and evolve. Uh, why also values... Uh, uh, perspective shouldn't do the same and i mean we we're talking about just an injustice uh, around space uh, but there is also a big things going on in the states about justice and injustice uh, so well absolutely i think just as we're recording this podcast it's good for listeners to know this is just after the announcement of the supreme court um repealing roe versus wade after that mississippi court case so it's a it's a huge day for this question of who gets to decide what is right and what is wrong and who has rights and privileges and power. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading, uh, uh, yesterday night that, uh, um, the New York States just, uh, um, allowed to allow everyone to have a, a, a gun, uh, in, in, you know, on the street. So, yes, uh, there was another Supreme Court decision, wasn't it, about concealed carry of weapons. Yeah. Um, but this is also interesting because when we made the imagined scenarios, um, this patchwork rainbow with very different values in different regions, 
To some people, this seemed implausible. But if you go somewhere like Pennsylvania in the United States now, you might have a city that is very democratic. And then you just travel a few miles to the suburbs or the country, and you have people who don't even believe the last election was fair. They don't believe that Biden won. People, you know, you travel a short distance in a car and you have people with a really different view of reality. And that's a challenge. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I had um, great people, you know, great uh, guests in uh, at the briefing today. And we talk also about education, the importance of education for um, for building a, a more evolved society, you know, evolved not in technological, but in, in the way we think, in the way we 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 live as well. So um, again, um, foresight and education, and and also the the thinking underlying foresight at early stage can really apply. Early stage uh, in our you know our life, you know, uh, in an education journey can can be very really powerful to get to a point when you can make a decision by by law that can inform you know you have better tools to inform your decision. Yeah, there's a, there's an interesting Australian education researcher called Teresa Swist, um, who is in Sydney, and she is doing healthcare future scenarios with teenagers and young people. So they are building the scenarios together to try and build just this kind of combination of foresight and education. And so the Imagine Project, four scenarios were developed to explore the future of justice and injustice. How important was to share this publicly? Well, it was really important to us that the Imagine scenarios were publicly available because a core aim of the wider program is to expand this conversation about spatial justice and territorial inequality. And that means expanding the parameters of that conversation. The overall program director, Mike Woods, he spoke of moving from how should policies achieve more spatial justice to actually asking what kinds of spatial justice do we even want? What kinds of relationships do we want between regions, physically, in virtual space, culturally? But it's also about expanding who is part of that conversation, both now and in the future. So we published scenario sketches pretty early in the process, and then a full document. And we drew on a great number of international respondents and where we could, we also made their responses, or at least versions of their responses, public. And there's been some media coverage too. And the, the good thing about this age is once something is online, you can find it. If we spoke on Irish radio, you can find it in the Netherlands or Germany or Italy or Australia. And the nice thing about a project like this is it's like throwing a stone in a pond. It's as much about the ripples as what happens when the stone lands. The, the other thing to say, which is a little bit in tension, in tension with the notion of public scenarios, is that, of course, scenarios we believe should be designed for a specific user, use, and purpose. Uh, so there's very good work from Oxford's Trudy Lang and Rafael Ramirez on this. There's a piece called Getting the Most from Publicly Available Scenarios. And there's also another great piece they did with Gail Peterson, which is called Seven Surefire Ways to Do Scenario Planning Badly. And one of the things they emphasize is to anchor 
the scenarios in who is this for? How is it being used? This isn't just a generic scenario. And precisely because scenarios in the Oxford tradition are crafted to shift the mental model of a particular user, there's a risk that when you make them public, they lose that targeted, crafted quality. So we are not trying to create scenarios that are like off the shelf, like a ready microwave meal, but we are inviting a really wide range of people and organizations to the feast that we have helped people to prepare. And the scenarios were grounded in the work of DG Regio, uh, the European Commission's Directorate General, which is focused on regional development. Because what we saw is that everyone who is interested in European regional development, it's like they're sitting at a card game and DG Regio is the card dealer. So scenarios for DG Regio affect everyone. And even in the UK now, after Brexit, the conversations about leveling up about regional funding, they are shaped by the last hand which GG Regio dealt in that card game. They're saying, who would have got money under the old European regime? How much money, how would it be distributed? So this conversation also has ripples. And the scenarios we've created tell us something about this regional development card game and how it might be played across Europe in the future in times to come. It might be a different game with different cards, different players. And even though these scenarios, there are thousands of words of, pay, of material, thousands of pages, well, hundreds of pages maybe, we've tried to make it so flexible that for any reader, any user who is interested in these questions of regional inequality, you can explore them and say, well, what does this mean for me? How will the dynamics of Brexit play out in each of the four futures? What does it mean for my region? What does it mean for the future of old age? What will old age look like in each scenario? What will the future of a given industry look like? So they are broad, but the idea is that the prism of these scenarios can be adapted to meet the needs of anyone who is in some way connected to this ongoing changing game of regional development across Europe. And there is a keyword that of adaptation, changing and, and evolution. They kind of it's it's like a, a common denominator of this conversation. Um, so I'm really I'm really pleased to you know to offer an opportunity to to you and the team and, and the project uh, a platform to share you know the great work and extend the work that uh, you and the team with the team um done it so i'm very very pleased and thank you for for joining uh, me at the briefing today um there's one question i always ask love to ask to to everyone uh, before we we close we wrap up for today um what's the current and latest or or, or latest book you know that you you read or you're reading well this is so good because as you know we we delayed recording this podcast by one week so it's pure coincidence, but I just finished a book by Robin Davidson called Tracks from 1980, which you may know, she's the woman who walked a very long distance across Australia with three camels. And of course, it's about moving through a landscape that you are never fully alone. There is contact with other communities. There are people who are thinking of you back home she was working with a magazine, National Geographic, and the journalist would visit her. 
And of course, it ties in so interestingly with your own travels and adventures as well. And with scenarios, it's all about the context. And even when she tries to do something totally alone, she does not really escape the context. And she sees the injustice of how regional, rural communities, remote communities are being treated. And I wondered if I could turn the question to you of, of when you go and do these very solitary journeys, what do you feel in terms of connection and context? What it's, what's it like for you? Do you feel alone or do you feel connected? You know, it's a great question and, and tags, uh, I think it's something that inspires many to, to start, uh, you know, stepping out of their comfort zone, uh, for sure. Um, to your point, maybe, and might sound quite, you know, bold, but you feel more connected when you are in the middle of nowhere on your own than when you are in, uh, you know, in, I'm sitting in Amsterdam now and, you know, you might feel more connected definitely when you are outside there. Yeah. I guess every connection is so much more meaningful. Like if you walk down a street in New York city, you might not even notice the faces in the crowd because there's so many of you. Um, so that fascinates me, that idea of being more connected alone. And, and maybe foresight does that for us. We, we go to a place away from normal life and maybe we see some of the connections fresh and more clearly absolutely absolutely and another thing is when you're traveling on your own instead of uh, with with others is that you are open to to see what's you know happening around you um you know even if you go in in very uh regional area on on any country you can really see that um injustice to some extent that we've been discussed and then you can learn you can really empathize and you it open up a different worlds and you see how much uh privilege sometimes we are you know we i mean we, we are sitting in front of computer and we are talking uh, thanks to internet so we can pay our bill and everything so even there we you can definitely feel privileged and uh, and you can be happy for for what you get yeah totally that's really really insightful thought and I, I'm really mindful as well you know we're, we're two men talking about injustice through these scenarios that are about regional injustice but even right now you know we've just had this news from the American Supreme Court and I, I see that one of the dissenting opinions in the court judgment is suggesting that the court should also reconsider the rulings on contraception same-sex relationships same-sex marriage there are there are huge potential changes with the power to wholly redraw the map of justice and injustice. It's a very challenging time. I, I wondered, could I ask you one more question? I know we must, we go, but the other thing I really love about scenario work is the question of identity. Like so often identity comes from the past. I know who I am because of who I was. And then in a scenario, I see who I might be in the future. And sometimes it's the surprise. I might need to become someone really different. And I was thinking about what you were saying about traveling alone. And I wondered, what did you learn about yourself that surprised you when you started doing these expeditions? 
I guess you, you you learn that retrospectively. So you you go out with some assumptions, like in any research, and then you test those assumptions, and you know you see that you might uh, you, you might be good at planning, you know, because you need to plan for you know the, your resources, otherwise you you die without food. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a a journey that uh, where from which you, you learn you learn a lot. Uh, yeah. And in that way, it's kind of like a scenarios project sometimes that's um, I, I had to do a workshop on Tuesday and I had to tell people it doesn't matter if you realize something now during the workshop. It might be when you drive home or on Saturday or next week or next month, suddenly you go, oh, I get it. And something changes for you. So I find it fascinating that it was more in retrospect Absolutely. that you saw these things absolutely yeah and i i believe that it's more important uh the retrospective thinking and learning rather than the learning in in in, in the moment than you are learning because you are just overwhelmed by the information that you might not realize and digest those uh, at that specific time and then you need some time to learn it so if you actively retrospect on what you learn um you can you can learn more and kind of uh, concretize um cement uh, what uh, what uh, you learn but uh Matt, it's been it's been a pleasure to to conclude this journey uh with you and i'm really happy that this journey brought me to to meet so many people uh and you know i started this as a as a challenge to to myself you know to to this okay what 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 the future of 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 me, and I had a, a pleasure to meet great people, and uh, one of those was you. So really privileged to finish the this journey uh, together. Thank you so much. I feel the same. Thank you so much, Mattia. The briefing today unplugs people's creativity by embracing the wonder of change. It seeks inspiration from maverick innovators and change makers to share their stories, experiences, and dreams. 